Welcome to SIDCast, a podcasting resource dedicated to telling stories and sharing the experiences of the sports information and athletic communications profession. My name is David Gibson. If you could, before you get any further into today's episode, go to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get this podcast, leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a few minutes and it allows for the show to grow uh, as we expand upon our listenership, our fan base and as well as telling the SID story. So, uh, also, be sure to go ahead and go over to Twitter and Facebook. Give us a follow at SportsInfoCast on both of those platforms as well. And without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Well, here we are. Uh, it seems like just yesterday we just eclipsed the uh, 100 episode mark, and uh, now we're hitting 110, 90 away from 200, and uh, just a few short months away until we are three years old now here with SIDcast. But uh, I want to turn your attention to something that maybe you guys uh, either A, didn't hear about, two, uh, didn't read about, or C, didn't uh, care about. Um, is our blog, our huddlers. And yes, I, I did all that on purpose. The, the A, 2, and C, I did that on purpose. So that way you don't think I'm stupid. But um, our huddlers, uh, we just debuted that on Tuesday with Andrew Mindman. Uh, he uh, took us through basically a, a tour of how he got to the profession, the same things that we cover um, just in these quick, short episodes. And then Andrew was able to do that in just a few paragraphs. Um, and then showed us some pictures and everything like that. And where you can do that, sidcast.fireside.fm slash articles. And you'll be able to find our introduction to our huddler, our first huddler, uh, Andrew Mindeman. And uh, you can expect more content like that because the next three huddlers, uh, Eric Rue, Danny Campbell, and Caleb Gardner, uh, will all introduce their paths through sports information on our sidcast huddle. But... Uh, an easy way to find us, find out all of that information is actually through our newsletter, sidcast.fireside.fm slash newsletter. It's like a Google Forms. Uh, you'll go through, you'll set it up. It requires your name, uh, your email address, where you work, and I think that's it. I'm pretty sure there's only three questions that you have to sign up. So uh, no excuse not to do that. And it just as the uh, introduction said, our new introduction said, basically, um, uh, leave us a rating review whenever you can, but I'm not going to clog your minds with all that nonsense, even when I covered it uh, straight out the gate. But uh, anyway, guys, uh, we do have Michael Smoose on from Johnson & Wales. Michael uh, went to Ohio University, found himself bouncing from place to place like Fresno State, Florida State, uh, and then eventually found himself at Johnson & Wales. And you're, you're thinking to yourself, well, that's kind of bizarre. Uh, how do you go from Power 5, how do you go from FBS to Johnson & Wales, which is at the Providence campus. There's four Johnson & Wales universities at the Providence campus. It's a D3 location. And uh, he'll talk about aligning the family goals and what has to do with family to finding a job uh, when you're going through the job searching process. And like we just said, you kind of have to align your goals, align your vision with your spouse or with anybody else. Uh, probably a lot nicer when you're single, I'm thinking, I'm guessing, I'm not quite sure, but uh, 
we'll go through that. We'll go through trying to break the mold of what your school is mostly known for. And for Michael, it, Johnson and Wells is a culinary school up there, and, and he's he'll talk with us about how to break that mold, how to get you guys through whatever barrier you might be facing, uh, all that and more right here on SIDcast. We will start off episode number 110, guys, of SIDcast with Michael Smoose of the Johnson and Wells Wildcats and his very first set of sports information right here on SIDcast. Sure. I changed majors. I went to Ohio University. I thought I'd be a sports writer. That was my goal. That was my dream. I was editor of my school paper. I freelanced for the local paper. So I get to Ohio U. Uh, it's a pretty well-known journalism program. And I started going through the process. And it just wasn't for me. I just wasn't, you know, the deadline critiquing kind of person. So I started changing my major. I went to poli-sci for two terms. Didn't quite like that. <laughs> and then I was, thumbing, I was thumbing through the course catalog, and I found uh, sports management, sports industry. What yeah. called IOU. I said, this is great. I can work in sports. And so I changed my major, and you had to do a practicum. And it was two-hour volunteering for one, one term. And I worked with the sports information office while I was at the school paper. So I was like, well, let's see if they need any help. And back then, Ohio U had a, had a full-time uh, SID, had an intern, and a publications person. That was it. Hmm. So they could, take, they could take any help they could get. And I went in, like, yeah, we'll take you. And then they said, hey, you know, we, our new class of Hall of Famers is coming up. We need someone to kind of research who's eligible, who's among the new people. Are you interested? I'm like, sure. Like, mm-hmm. I love doing research and archiving and stuff like that. Right, so yeah. I get to spend hours in, in the archives. I, you know, it was two hours a week. I bet I spent 10 hours a week there. Thinking through, you know, giving bullet points why I thought they should be in their in their merits. So uh, then I got to, then it was kind of cool. They let me sit in on, in a couple of meetings and present the new people. I got to go to the banquet when they announced the, the new class. So it was a it was a great process, and so I was hooked. And then I just started volunteering after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know that Ohio U is a big. Uh, I would venture to say one of the top three, two, three sport management. Uh, schools. And I know that you're a professor now of sport management. So um, how has that experience of being at one of the top colleges for sport management helped you out in your teaching? You know, the sport management program has really changed since I was you know, in college. Back when I was there, the major included like campus rec and running rec centers. Wow. Uh, did a little facility work. It was very broad-based. It wasn't the business side of it. And now like at Ohio U now, you're a sports management major. I think you also get an MBA. So it's really changed, but it's nice because I can pull from a wide range of experience. And I've been in this business for a while. I can pull in some different people to come in and speak to my classes, you know, in person or Skype to kind of bring in that real world experience. Has there ever been a point to where you you kind of had to step back and think like like what you just said, the specialization and everything? I mean, what was the most difficult part of teaching a course like that from back then until now? Just keeping up. I mean, you know, I spend the last two weeks really talking about social media and digital media and kind of going through it. And a lot of it is making sure you go back and you, you add some, I don't say textbook work to it, but you do yeah. have to have that textbook uh, teaching element to it. It's not just me spewing about my time in, in the business. <laughs> it's more, you know, making sure you are, you know, have, you're applying things and, you know, giving them some foundations and some principles and some theory. 
as well. It's not just practical experience. Right, right, right. So um, let's get back to some of your sports information stuff here. I know that you you did you just said you did some research. You did things like that, or some other maybe uh, duties or responsibilities that they gave you at Ohio U while you were kind of going through that whole process. So my senior year, the intern left. He went to grad school, and it's it's late November. Uh, they're kind of fishing up volleyball, and my boss comes to me and says, Michael, do you think you could be the full-time intern? And I'm cocky and naive, and I go, sure, oh, why yeah, not? Yeah. <laughs> so they then make me, I finished the last week of volleyball, I'm now the women's basketball contact, and I'm the baseball contact. Plus, I am pushing like crazy to graduate on time. I, told, I swear to God, I told my parents, I said, Mom, I've changed my major again, but I'm going to graduate in four years. So I took 21 credit hours my winter term, and I took 18 my spring term wow. to graduate on time. So I am the full-time, I'm a full-time SID at this point. I'm, you know, here you go. And so I'm off and running. And I, I'll never forget my first women's basketball home game. I forgot to put the walk-on in the scorebook. And we're blowing somebody out. We're up 40 points. Oh, they yeah. put in. Yeah. They go to put her in. She comes to the bench. And I don't do the scorebook. Someone else does, does the book for us. Got in there. They bang us with a tee. And the coach looks at me. And I'm like, oh. Her name is Anna Musselman. I'll never forget leaving her out of the scorebook. So, yeah. So I've been I've become very thorough over the years of making sure we have all the names in the scorebook wherever I go. We um, we talk to a lot of people who have done something like that. Usually, I'm I'm the person who uh, I'm one person who interned basically. Well, they call me part time, but like working at home and working at games and everything, but. Uh, what was that like? I know you say you took 21 hours and 18 hours, but what was that kind of stress level like? I mean, well, how did you balance all that? Because there are a lot of young professionals now who sit here and listen to this episode, and they might be at a, at a spot in their lives to where they might be struggling a little bit. So how did you deal with it? Okay. Let's um, <laughs> throw on top of that. I was also bartending part-time. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I would um, – I just always like to be busy. I thought about this a lot recently. When I was in high school, I was editor of the school paper. I helped run the varsity club. I was in two or three other clubs. I did three sports. I mean, I've always just been a, a busy person. My grandmother used to joke that uh, she loved when I came over because I would eat anything she would cook. But I was I had to be entertained. Where uh-huh. my sister doesn't eat anything, but you can just sit her in the room by herself and she can entertain herself. So I've just always been a busy person. And so I was, I was kind of like the student athlete. I would study on the bus. I would study, you know, in between. I would, you know, I would get to the office about 8 a.m. Um, and I'd go to class for a couple hours and come back to my office, maybe do a little bit of SID work, go back to another class, come back, finish up in the afternoon, uh, and just kind of study whatever I could. If it was, you know, again, on the bus or if we have a 7 o'clock game, maybe I'm squeezing in an hour of studying before the game. After doing my game notes and printing those out and doing all that. So it was a lot of time management. Yeah, yeah, I can completely bet. I I like what you said about being busy. And I think we talked, I think it might have been a year and a half ago, so I don't even know how relevant this conversation was. But with Katie Gwynn Hewitt of Michigan, and and she says that she likes to be busy. Um, I'm also that way. My my boss is, I, I take Thursday kind of to myself a little bit to kind of make sure that the shows go all right, to make sure to field any questions that anybody has. And my bosses are like, doesn't that stress you out? And I said, yeah, but I kind of like it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's that way. So 
may, maybe there's somebody out there who, who's thinking to themselves, like, maybe I shouldn't be busy, maybe I should take a step back. So is it okay to feel busy and to feel rushed all the time? I mean, how does it make you feel? I mean, for me, it makes me feel satisfied. As long as I'm accomplishing everything that I set out to do, I'm fine with being busy. I mean, I like, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm teaching class. So, you know, that's, there's some times when I, I have to grade papers and get ready for the next lesson, which being in my second year now, it's a little easier. Now I'm just kind of reviewing what I'm doing, maybe adding a tweak here or there. Mm-hmm. Not so much, but, you know, I find myself, if I'm not really going, you know, I, I don't want to say I, I struggle, but it's, it's like, yeah. you know, site management, you, you know, if you've got time on your hands, sometimes things don't get done. But then I also, too, I appreciate the downtime. Like yesterday, we didn't have anything on Sunday, so it was nice. So I could kind of hang out with my wife, I just relax and enjoy the downtime. So I think I, I think I enjoy the downtime more because I am so busy. Right, right. You, you appreciate it a little bit more. Well, moving forward in your career a little bit, um, you went to Florida State. So what was that kind of jump for you? I mean, was there anything really different at that time? I mean, were you even more busy? Were you less busy? Can you spare no detail? Sure. Uh, you know, I had been at Fresno State, which was interesting. Oh, that's Jerry right. Katie was head coach there. Then I went to Northern Illinois for four years, and it was a, it was a big jump in terms of just, like, the attention. Like we were happy at, at Northern Illinois, which is an hour outside Chicago. If we got some attention from the Chicago papers, that was great. The local coverage was very good. My, my boss is great. He's a uh, Kosai uh, Hall of Famer, Mike Korsak, taught me a ton. And um, and he taught me like how to build relationships. Cause he had great relationships with those Chicago guys. So he called and said, hey, I got a good story here. They really paid attention to him. And then going to Florida State, you're just, you're just ramping up the magnitude. Mm-hmm. What it's what, what the attention's like. I remember you know, my first home football game. There's 85,000 people there, and just the craziness. And then uh, the the one year we hosted Miami in football and college game days there. You've got you know Lee Corso and Kirk Herbstreit and Chris Fowler, uh, and this is back when they were doing you know they were doing a couple hours a night of radio. So we were renovating the 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 uh, facilities at Florida State, and so our offices were in the were upstairs in the press box, and mine was in the kitchen. I just happened to be there on Friday night to do swimming release. Well, I get a, like a main phone phone line rings. I pick it up, and it's Kirk Herbstreit. He's downstairs. He can't get into the building. So I go down to let him and Chris Fowler upstairs, and oh. they're doing uh, like a two-hour college game day radio. So I got to sit in with them for a couple hours and just hang out and see how they do it. So, you know, yeah, definitely things were more mag- magnified because you had less sports. When I first started there, I had swimming and diving men's and women's, I had men's tennis. Then I helped out with, with both basketball game days and I helped out with football. So I could really concentrate on those sports pretty fully. Have you always wanted to kind of move around like that? I mean, you went for, you're, you're a native of Pennsylvania and then you went to Ohio and then you went to Fresno, to Chicago or uh, the outside Chicago and then mm-hmm. down to Tallahassee. You always want to move around like that? Um, I've never thought about it. You know, I enjoy it. I you know, enjoy kind of seeing different parts of the country. Uh, that's one thing I like to do is, is to travel, so it's been nice. I haven't been too many places for too long, but uh, again, in Tallahassee, it was nice. Fresno was eye-opening. I had never been west of Chicago. Oh, really? Before, yeah, before going out to Fresno, I thought all of California was on the beach. You, you land in Fresno, it's 95 degrees, it's hot, it's in the middle of the Central Valley, uh, it's close to nothing. We, we joked the best thing about Fresno was you could get to a lot of places quickly. So, yeah. I, so, but yeah, I do enjoy the travel. That's one of the things I liked about when I was younger was traveling with teams. Oh yeah, I, I mean, some people like it. I know there are different people who are on the opposite end 
like myself. I didn't enjoy uh, radio very much because I had to travel with the team. We go to St. Louis every other day because eight of our 14 teams are in St. Louis. But um, definitely uh, a big plus side to that because then, cause then you, would, you would go to someplace like Johnson and Wales. So mm-hmm. what, what's been kind of the difference between the difference between all the, these different places that you have been? I mean, has there been any culture shock for you? I mean, you just mentioned that you thought all California was a beach. Right. Uh, again, you know, Florida State, like I said, the attention is magnified tremendously. When I, I was there when the academic scandal broke. Uh, and they, we had to suspend about 50 student-athletes because they were taking part in a music class where everyone had the answers. So having ESPN camped outside your uh, front door is, is interesting, you know, and, and the attention that brings. Uh, then, you know, going on to Johnson & Wales, it's been um, not a culture shock, but I'm the only SID for 23 sports. So at Florida State, you know, I was, you know, an inch wide but a mile deep. Here, I'm a mile wide but an inch deep. So, I mean, I'm doing a lot more. i got to balance a lot of time, uh, particularly crossover seasons. When we're finishing up fall sports, hockey starting, then we're getting into basketball and wrestling. So it's that's the one drawback of being a, a one-man show at D3 is that I can't really get to all the good stories we have. And we do. We have a lot of great stories with our student-athletes. They do some amazing things, and particularly because they're allowed to do a little bit more at Division three and be more students as well as athletes. So really just you know, having to really get back to the SID roots and just having to learn a little bit more I uh, learned some sports I hadn't worked with before, uh-huh. but uh, but also kind of, you know, the grind and, you know, the tedious hours. There'll be weekends where I've got to do seven, eight press releases on a Saturday. So it, it can wear on you, but, you know, you, again, you take those days off when you can and enjoy it when you can. Well, I want to talk about some of those um, distractions or maybe outside scandals from this since you mentioned it. I mean, we just saw the... Uh, who, who has it now? Missouri. Missouri with their little scandal here. So what's the office like at a place like that during those time periods to where, you know, something bad is, A, about to happen, B, happening, you know, going through the whole crisis management cycle? Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, a lot of it was happening you know, way above my head. Uh, right. At that time, I was, I'd been, prom- uh, been promoted to assist an SID from a graduate student. And so a lot of it, you're just kind of, you're kind of on a need-to-know basis. And sometimes it's my boss coming down to me you know, saying, okay, here, you know, I was with women's basketball. They say, okay, you know, we're not saying a whole lot. We're just saying that, you know, these two student athletes are suspended for three games. And we're not going really much into it. It's kind of, people can kind of infer from it and what happens from it. But, you know, there's a lot of, you know, closed door meetings where sometimes a lot of people's doors were open at times. Doors are a little more closed. People are more hush hush. So it's, you know, there's a, Kind of a, a, a bad buzz in the building. What uh, what kind of a difference do you think there would be at a place like, I mean, uh, other than the obvious, at a place like Florida State to where you are now at a D3 school if the same thing were to happen? It'd probably be a blip on the radar. Yeah. Probably get a little traction in the, in the Providence papers, maybe up in the Boston area to a large extent because a lot of the schools we compete with are up that way. But it'd really be a minor blip, probably be in the, uh, you know, that, I get the D3 sports ticker email. It'd probably be just kind of 
Yeah, we, we, we would release it on a Friday, and it would be gone by a Monday or Tuesday. Right, right, exactly. So um, let's talk about a little bit of keeping a brand image and maybe keeping up with some, some marketing efforts around the area to maybe uh, you might have to boost that, that image a little bit after that scandal. But um, you were the assistant AD for uh, external relations. Uh, was it Armstrong State? Is that what it's called? Yeah, Armstrong State, yep. Yeah, so, so is there any sort of differences, really, in between? I mean, everybody talks about, I mean, every marketing or PR class, you know this, talks about the difference between marketing and PR. But what yeah. were the differences between each role? I mean, you're also kind of a dual role up there at Providence, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, at Armstrong, I was, I've done a lot of things at Armstrong. I started as the assistant AD for internal operations. So I was facilities, game ops. I also ran the business office. Um, I was interim AD for six months, and then when the new AD came in, uh, I asked to transition to more to an external role. So I did marketing, promotions, I ran the Booster Club for a little bit, so I did all that. Um, people knew about Armstrong, but we, to, we need to really get out and tell our story and really sell the school. Because we had, we had some great athletes. I, mean, I was fortunate. We won a couple of tennis national championships when I was there. We had some great student athletes. We weren't really getting out and telling our story. Our SID, Chad Jackson, was great. He had a great relationship with the media. But we were more trying to, you know, just try to get people to come out to our games because we had mm-hmm. really successful. I mean, we were winning the Commissioner's Cup in the Peach Belt for a number of years in a row. Uh, but it wasn't really translating into fans in the stands. So we were trying to build relationships, uh, just starting on campus, getting more students up to games and educating them. We were trying to put uh, lights on the, the, on the soccer field. We didn't have lights which is tough when you're in Georgia and you can only play during a certain amount of time. It right. gets hot. hot. And so we went to the student um, SGA meeting to propose potentially raising the fees a little bit on the students. We said, hey, we need to get lights on the soccer field. And a couple of them said, well, there's already lights on the soccer field. It does the intramural fields. It wasn't the varsity field. So it's just educating our students on what it takes. And so I did a lot of outreach. I went to a lot of fraternity meetings, uh, dorm storms, anything we could. To get the word out, and then we try to you know try to reach out into the community as well. I want to talk. Uh, I just want to tell you this because this literally happened right before we came here. Our student newspaper emailed us and asked if we had a website with a schedule on it. And then literally, as I was leaving, my, one of my other bosses um, caught our uh, one of our student radio people, and the student radio guy asked, "Like, can?" can we have a composite schedule the rest of the basketball season? And he's like, do you know how to use the internet? And so, I mean, and things like that. I mean, our own student athletes, and you just said it, is student athletes thought that there were lights on your soccer field. That's not the soccer field, dummy. That's the intramural field. So what are some things that maybe SIDs can do to kind of increase that brand awareness? I know you've already talked about that and maybe not brand awareness. You already mentioned that, though. Um, Storming, storming. I mean, what other things can they do to kind of increase that awareness a little bit? A lot of it is face-to-face. It's meeting with those people, meeting with key leaders on campus, Uh, your your fraternity and sorority presidents, uh, SGA presidents, people like that, and really getting out and not being stuck in your office. One thing I try to do is just set an alarm to make myself get up every hour to walk around. Um, and it's a good way just to talk to people in your department, but making sure you're reaching out across campus to meet with other people, uh, the, you know, department heads, the marketing communications for the university, so kind of helping pushing your message and getting it out there. Yeah, yeah, sounds about right. So um, what are some things that maybe – 
you took away from marketing that helps you out in SID, maybe some SID stuff that helps you out in marketing. I mean, how do those two work hand in hand? At Johnson Wales, they work hand in hand in that I'm both. You're I'm both, the yeah. Person, I'm the marketing person and the SID person. Um, a lot of it, you know, with, with the SID to, to marketing is the, is the attention to detail, you know, making sure you're really you know, on top of things. Um, from the, the marketing standpoint to my SID work, you know, just trying to think about how things are evolving. How are we, you know, getting kids' attention these days? Is it the social media? Is it graphics? Is it video? We've definitely delved more into the video realm here in the, in the past couple years since I've arrived, uh, and try to be creative and try to do things. I mean, we kind of tweaked how we do our press releases. We're kind of like most people, that we've gone away from the traditional long form press releases. More kind of here's your lead story, here's your lead, here's your bullet points, here's kind of what you need to know. I mean, most people don't read long stories anymore about um, their, their sports or their teams. Right, right, right. So, what well, I mean, let, I want to mention that for a second because that's that's something that I've done, and my boss has started to follow suit. I don't, you don't need a long form story for a a tennis match, you know. The bullet right. your bullet points is just fine. So, what was that adjustment like for you? Maybe the evolution of that over the years. I just you know keeping up with trends and just learning how people's attention spans aren't what they used to be. You know, we've gone to an age where we're reading blips and headlines and tweets and captions on Instagram, so just realizing that people aren't really digging in. I mean, we've got a website now with a box score. Um, you know, it was different. When I first started, we would fax uh, right. stories to the newspaper. Our website was barely there. So, yeah, we would write long narratives because that was what was getting into the newspaper, and that's what we needed to get in. But now since we've become our own media people, you know, we can kind of control that. And people, and I do this too, if I'm, you know, if I want to delve deep into a story, I might read the whole thing, but for the most part, I just kind of want to know what's the score, who won, kind of give me the basic facts, and then move on. So and, um, it didn't take a whole lot of convincing here. When I got here, I think they kind of understood uh, mm. what the move needed to be. And again, part of it is, is to help me keep my sanity. We've got eight press releases to write on a Saturday. Going into right. long narratives can, can be tough. <laughs> and, and two, I mean, you kind of have to pick and choose your spots. If, if we lose... My first guy here, we just started women's hockey. We're losing seven nothing, ten nothing. You can't write a whole lot about a ten nothing hockey. Right, right. Or and, no. also, and also, too, on the other side, we're, we've gotten pretty good at women's lacrosse, and you know, we're beating people twenty three to two. Well, do you need to recap all twenty three goals? Right. Uh, yeah, just kind of tally it. Yeah, and people, you know, the box scores are there these days. If you want to see how somebody did, the box scores there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, you already mentioned it a little bit. We'll come back to a bit, some of the marketing stuff here in a second once we once we talk about where you're at now. But um, you went from D1s, both mid-major, Power 5, and now you're at a D3 school in Providence, Rhode Island. So after coming from your, SS, your interim AD role, I mean, how did you end up at Johnson & Wales? So um, my wife is a volleyball coach. So I'm the, I guess you call it, the trailing spouse. Oh, yeah. We met when I was at Florida State. Uh, I was good friends with the, the volleyball coach there. He was actually at Northern Illinois, went to Florida State. Uh, a year later, he said, hey, they're looking for a GA in sports information. You should check it out. So I go down there. Um, eventually, he hires her on their staff. And the funny or tragic story is I proposed to her on a Saturday. They got fired as a staff on Tuesday. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So we knew we were kind of moving on from there. Um, when I went back to school at 
Florida State. I got my MBA. I didn't get a master's in sports management because I knew I wanted to do more. I wanted to be more in administration. Right. I wanted to be more marketable. I didn't want to be just pigeonholed. And that's kind of helped me over my, my career. So she got uh, the head coaching job at uh, Savannah College of Art and Design, SCAD. Mm-hmm. The bees. We were, yep, the bees. Yeah. Uh, we were in Savannah for four years. We really liked it. I was at Armstrong. Uh, SCAD was going well. We had a nice house. Enjoyed being in the South. And then SCAD got rid of the law ball program. So that was quite a shock. Yeah, we, No one saw it coming. She got called into HR on a Monday. She's like, I'm getting fired. I said, you're not getting fired. I said, you lost in the conference finals. Your team GPA is above a three. You do community service. You're on budget. And that just pulled the rug out from underneath us. Yeah. So uh, she then got a job up at uh, Cornell. And I eventually got a job working at a private health club up there for two years. Um, things didn't work out at Cornell. Uh, then she became the head coach here at Holy Cross in Worcester. And then I, you know, we moved here and I started applying for jobs and the Johnson job came open. I came down, met with the people who really liked it. Uh, we have a number of head coaches that have come from Division One backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. They're, they're not afraid to hire the best possible person. They don't worry about, you know, oh, they got to take yeah. the job. Is the money enough? They go, let's get the best person. So, so I've been here for four years now. Uh, this last year, I transitioned to associate AD, so I now oversee game operations, facilities, campus recreation, intramurals, and I'm support oversight for both of our clustering programs. Good, 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 good. You, I, you like to stay busy, don't you, Michael? You, you just love it a little bit too much, bud. Yes. <laughs> and then I added, I'm actually also now a conference commissioner. Nice. Well, um, I want to talk about something real quick that you mentioned. And I think that it's been a while since we've brought up this discussion. You mentioned being the trailing spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, something that somebody listening now uh, or myself might end up doing. What's that conversation like uh, before both of you launch your careers? Because, what, I mean, it, it's difficult working in college athletics because, like, yeah, one of you can get a job at one college, but you can't exactly have the other person guaranteed to get a job at the other college, at the same college. You know what I mean? So what was that conversation like with you and your wife? A lot of it is weighing your best options, you know, looking at where she, you know, uh, you know, she's got, it kind of starts with her because she is, as a volleyball coach, she kind of has a, a niche. You know, there's only a handful of volleyball jobs out there. So it's more where can she kind of find a job at first? And then kind of choosing the location where I might be able to find a job as well. Uh, I forget which move it was, but we were looking at some places, and um, you know, Savannah kind of gives the best options. There's a couple of schools in the area. There's a much better opportunity. I think uh, she's looking at like one of the, the Dakota schools. There weren't a whole lot of job opportunities in the Dakotas where Savannah had three or four colleges, wasn't that far from Georgia Southern. So there's, there's some definitely some options there. So it's, it's it's looking at okay, what's our best option. Uh, not just for her, but also for me. You know, where right. you know, is there a lot, a lot of schools or businesses where I can get a job at? Yeah. So, what about somebody who's maybe not an SID, like not an SID, or maybe a wife or, or a spouse or a husband or whatever, that doesn't work in college athletics? I mean, um, we were having this conversation the other day. She's like, "What if I wanted a job like like what you said, little tiny town, you know, somewhere off in the middle of God knows where?" I'm like, I can't. I can't do that. You know what I mean? I, you have to have options. Um, so how do you think that dialogue needs to open up a little bit for those couples? 
Again, it kind of depends on your circumstance. You have to. Sometimes it's forced. Like us, a couple times it was forced. I mean, we had to. You know, Florida State and SCAD. There was no choice. We had to move. We had to really move on. Because again, there's not a whole lot of options for a college volleyball coach. You know, there are. You know, there's a few, but not many. And so you can. I mean, it has to be honest. You know, why this move makes sense. You know, how it's going to help your career. Yeah, finding value. Right, and you also, I think, need to take into consideration the other person's career before you even make that decision. You know, I wouldn't look at a job, you know, in the middle of nowhere, without thinking about, okay, how can she adapt? Right. You know, is there is there another university? Anytime you're looking at jobs in, in far off place, you have to consider what what's going on. What options do they have? Uh, for me, I have to make sure there's other universities around where she might be able to get a job. Or, I mean, there's a good club program. She could be a club director, things like that. So, I mean, really, you have to not just think about yourself uh, when you're looking at these some of these jobs. It, it, you know, it, it is a, a tag team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's talk about Johnson & Wales for a second. I know you and I just talked off air a little bit. Uh, my cousin actually goes to Johnson & Wales, for those that don't know. Um, not for what you guys are known for, though. You want to say what that is real quick? Sure. We're part of the preeminent culinary institution in the country in terms of a, of a four-year education. There's, you know, there's culinary institute and there's some other ones uh, out there, but uh, no one really provides the same level of, a, of academic experience along with that culinary education. That's, culinary makes up a, a good chunk of our campuses, and we're actually unique in that we have four campuses, and we mm-hmm. all operate kind of the same. There's Providence, where I'm at, and that was the first campus. There's North Miami, Denver, and Charlotte. All of our colors are the same. We're all the Wildcats. All the same, yeah. Uh, each campus does have you know their own SIDs, their own ADs, their own trainers, but you know across the board everything works the same. So we're actually up for a renewal with our website. So if we redesign, it's not just me redesigning it. I have to work with the three other campuses to kind of get their input and their approval. So any changes that get made, like if we were to change the mascot, change the school colors, that would have to go through Everybody. not just me but a lot of different people. Yeah. Again, you know, Emerald Lagasse is probably our most famous alumni uh, of the area. Tyler Florence, who does the, the food truck challenge, uh, is, is well known from Johnson Wales. But um, we are growing in a lot of different areas. We just added biology as a major. Our sport event management does really well. One of my old interns just got a job with the Red Sox. So that's a big growing industry for us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll also tell you this is. When I was in high school getting recruited, I got recruited by the Johnson & Wales in Denver. Mm-hmm. And um, he always he kept saying, like, you know, we're just starting our program. You could be a real record setter. I'm like, no, that's okay. You know, uh, <laughs> I don't want to move across the country just to just to be like that. But um, I know that we, we kind of talked about it a little bit is what's it like for you trying to publicize or maybe market – um, an institution that in your area is known for culinary stuff. I mean, athletics is a great vehicle for that, to get people to see that, hey, we're not just a, a cooking school, that we've got student athletes that are excelling, you know, athletically and are doing a great job. I've been fortunate uh, since I've come here, we've had some great teams. Uh, last year we had our first national champion, we had a wrestler. And so being able to show people, hey, you know, he's not just, a, you know, he's, he's not a cook, he's a, he's a wrestler, he's a criminal justice major, and he's excelling in both and, and, and using that. And the university does use a lot of our student-athletes for that. We have some of what they call featured majors. We have a women's volleyball player. She's an academic All-American and an All-American on the court. And they're using her for the psychology major because she's really done well in both areas. So we, we do use our student-athletes a lot 
uh, to get the word out about, hey, we're not just a cooking school. We're not just known for being in culinary. Uh, we excel in a lot of things, and we've got great student-athletes that do that. Yeah. Um, you're also a part of MACMA, as we were talking about a little bit off-air here. Um, and you're also heavily involved with COSIDA as well. And, they, and you presented on something that uh, is really big for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm just into the whole men's health thing. Uh, so what I know that you presented on your panel a little bit. Maybe can you abridge that or, or, or maybe dumb it down a little bit so that people who maybe weren't at COSIDA or maybe didn't enjoy the pa- or get to go to the panel rather um, to, to know what you guys presented about there. Sure, certainly. I became really interested in, in health and health of SIDs in general a few years ago. I uh, went to COSIDA and I saw, I looked around, I saw, man, there's a bunch of us, myself included, that are not in good shape. We're overweight and just knowing how it affects who we are. I mean, we have one of those jobs that's a thankless job and we can easily get chained to our desk. And I think at times, SIDs and I have done this, we wear like a badge of honor, like, yeah, I work 20 days in a row. Right, that shouldn't be. Or I've been sitting at my desk for eight hours, and I just try to get get rid of the stigma that that's not that's not a badge of honor. You, know, you need to have a balance and get up and move and walk around and be active. Um, when I was uh, my when I was uh, interning at Fresno State, I hit 215 pounds, which for me is quite a bit. I'm not that tall, and at, at that point, I started learning to you know, start taking care of myself a little bit better. I went to the strength and conditioning coach and asked him to put me on a workout plan, and then he did that. And that's also too when I realized, hey, there are resources out there. And that's another thing I try to tell other SIDs is that we're on a college campus. We've got great resources that most people don't have a lot right. of times for free. You know, if you know, if you can use your workout room, your workout facilities, your campus recreation centers, most of them are for free. And you've got great people. I mean, I don't know any strength and conditioning coaches that if you went to them and said, hey, listen, trying to shed a few pounds or I'm worried about my health can you put me on a workout program I think they'd all help you out a lot of schools these days have nutritionists that if you go to them and say hey listen you know help me out what can I eat when I go on the road I mean press box food is free is great but a lot of times it's not the best thing for you we got no. limited budgets for it, so sometimes we just we buy 10 pizzas from Domino's we, we slap it down um, or hey we're busy we just go get uh, whatever's close maybe not what's best for you so I want to be a part of that, that open and honest dialogue about, hey, we need to take care of ourselves. You know, I, and I see it. It's, it's sad sometimes you see some of these people that they just they look like they're struggling you know, just to walk up a flight of steps. And you hope you don't get that, you don't get that way. And you know, personally for me, you know, I, I have heart disease on my dad's side and diabetes on my mom's side. So it's kind of a one-two punch. Right. So I'm really trying to work on my diet. Uh, I talked to my doctor this this year. I went on a plant-based diet. I've been doing that for a couple of months now, and it seems to be working. It seems to be helping out me out. But you know, I'm here to talk to people uh, and just help yourselves get better. I mean, I mean again, it, it's not an easy job. It, 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 it's, it takes some wear and tear. There are a lot of long days as SIDs, and you know, don't sit at your desk all day. You know, I kind of set a timer for myself, usually about 15 minutes, and those last 10 minutes, I try to walk up steps, walk around, talk to people, be social, uh, be active. Yeah. Uh, I I want to reiterate a lot of what you said and a lot of things, the same things that we touched on um, when we interviewed Blake Tim back in the fall. Um, mm-hmm. And like you said, you got gyms, you got everything. Guys, you have resources. Oh, Are yeah. you kidding me? You cannot make an excuse for yourself. And, mm-hmm. the, and the one thing that like 
I used to be afraid of. And, I, and I've gotten over this fear of my social anxiety and everything. Nobody's staring at you. Unless you're doing something really, really, really wrong. Right. Then everybody's exactly. going to stare at you. But yeah. um, that kind of ties into have the plan. Don't just walk in there and say, I'm going to do whatever. You know, mm-hmm. every more you need to at least like what you did. You went to somebody said, I need some help. And, and mm-hmm. to know and to admit that you don't know everything, everything when it comes to this and that you need help is one of the first steps that you can take. Taking advantage of those resources, uh, having a plan, as we said, and um, basically just grinding it out. You know what I, I do every morning? I set an alarm for 7 o'clock. And as soon as I hit snooze, the first thing that I tell myself is I don't want to go. And I start going through everything that I can do, I can say to myself. And it's this is going to be kind of morbid, Michael, and everybody else, and it's going to be kind of weird. But in the event that that day comes, I tell myself, you're going to be really easy to kill. <laughs> if you don't go in there and you don't seriously start, you know, lifting heavy stuff mm-hmm. and, and you know <laughs> and I, I know it's kind of a terrible thing to say but I'm like damn you're right man <laughs> and that gets me up and that gets me in the car out in the middle of February and it gets me going so yeah these types of things that there are different things that you can do and not only taking care of yourself physically but mentally as well mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm big on like having a goal to achieve so I've uh, I found a couple of years ago that you know running helps keep the weight off, and so I, I I run half marathons. I ran three last year. I'm gonna run probably two this year. So having a goal like right now, I'm not, I haven't started my training yet, so it's a little tougher to make myself go out and run or get in the gym and work out. But once I kind of get into those 10, 12 weeks, I know I want to I want to run a good time, so I'm gonna put in the effort. So having that goal of okay, the race is in three months, four mm-hmm. months, that makes me you know stick to my regimen a little bit better than if I don't have a race to train for. Right, right, right. And and those types of things, like what you just said, is the same things that we talked about or I talked about. I keep saying we for some reason. I talked about a couple of weeks ago. 90 days is a great time mm-hmm. frame. And you just said three, four months, perfect. And, and, and that, one, keeps you honest. And that, two, it's specific. You need to be specific enough. Like you said, I don't know if, I don't know if you have goal times or anything. I'm sure you do. Every runner does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, being specific, being timely, not generalizing it. I, I know people know that I'm not a big New Year's resolution guy. I think they're dumb. Ninety days, perfect amount of time. Mm-hmm. And then I'll add one more thing before we move on here. A part of the mental stuff. Have a hobby that doesn't involve mm-hmm. your spouse. That maybe doesn't involve your kids. That you enjoy doing and do it every single day. And that mm-hmm. it, it keeps me sane, personally. So, um, sure. I, I, I don't know about you about that, but, uh, I, I know I feel pretty strongly about this topic and I'm sure that you do too. And it seems like you do too, which, which it's nice to find somebody else that that's like me in that, in that aspect. But yeah. And, and the mental part is so, is so big too. And I've heard a couple of guests talk about, you know, stuff, stuff like that. And, you know, I've gotten this meditation here and there and sometimes, oh, yeah. you know, sometimes I'll close my door and close my eyes for, for 15 minutes. And just kind of relax and calm myself and kind of, I don't say center myself, but just kind of take some stock. Um, or, you know, if I get if I get there, if I get to work and I'm frazzled, maybe I sit in my car for five extra minutes and just kind of, just kind of you know, relax. And, relax, yeah. You know, it, it helps you sleep. I, I try to do my best to kind of leave work at work 
as much as possible, try not to check my phone as much as possible. Um, this time of year, maybe a little bit different because I do have to um, worry about weather and teams travel. Right, literally <laughs> 10 minutes ago, yeah. As you just saw me taking phone calls about the weather, so I'm more in tune to that. But again, I try to set that aside. And uh, Another thing I've started doing is try to plan my day out uh-huh. before I leave. I read an article on time boxing. So I really try to segment my time into certain blocks of, of things to accomplish. And I find that helps me out. I'm not, I don't get home at night thinking about, oh gosh, what do I have to do tomorrow? Because I've already mapped that out. You already know, yeah. Get that set aside until my mind can rest a little bit easier. Yeah, I think that's, that's something that I've also started doing a little bit too, just kind of getting a general idea of where I'm going to be when. Because so I feel like if somebody asks me, what are you doing at 6 o'clock tonight, I should be able to tell them. You know? mm-hmm. I'm probably going to be doing my hobby. Or watching TV, one of the two things. And then I like what you said about meditation. And I think it's something that a lot of people kind of like frown upon a little bit. Or maybe not frown upon, but like look down upon. Um, meditation, I like the analogy of and meditation and your thoughts is like high-speed traffic on the interstate. You're not supposed to go out and stop the cars on a high-speed traffic. You're going to get hit and it's going to hurt. And, and meditation is kind of letting the cars flow. Mm-hmm. And being aware of the cars being there, essentially. And, um, yeah, that's one thing I, I would add to that, basically. So, And I've, I've read a little bit about meditation, and people think, oh, I can't do it because I can't clear my mind. And I've read some well, different articles. It. It, it hurts some people that, like, that's not, clearing your mind isn't the point. Right. You're gonna, your thoughts are going to wander. And you really can't get into a state where you're completely thoughtless. I mean, but that's part of it. It's just kind of like getting in touch in your breathing. And, you know, you're going to wander, but you come back. Right. And it's like everything else. Like you don't. I'm a, I'm a golfer. I didn't start hitting. You know, drive down the middle of the fairway the first time. I had to work. <laughs> Meditation is the same way. You know, maybe you get five minutes where you have some clarity, and then maybe the next time it's six minutes and seven minutes. So it's it's like any other skill or activity. You kind of have to work at it and build upon it. Right, right, right. And I think it's more awareness than it is thoughtlessness. Mm-hmm. I yes. think it, it's to know you're bringing. I think I know another activity. That's also kind of in the same boat as meditation, yoga, a little mm-hmm. bit. I know people kind of avoid that. I was that guy, and I can tell you now, I do yoga. And it, like you said, yoga is hard. Oh, yeah. yeah yoga yeah. is hard because mm-hmm. I can't keep a straight spine to save my life in the beginning. Okay. And then in the very end when I do, I'm like, oh, my God, my spine is straight. You know, like, mm-hmm. and, oh, yeah. And, yeah, and you can f- literally feel stuff tense up when, when you're nice and relaxed and you go to the gym the next morning and you're like, Oh my God, my hips mm-hmm. basically is what you tell yourself. Yeah. yeah. So different things that you can do. I know that you mentioned a couple concepts. I don't know if you've ever used the headspace app, um, on your phone mm-hmm. and that's something that you guys can use listening. Uh, let's get you started here. Let's start day one. Stop making excuses for yourself. So, um, we're pushing up against time here. Let's talk about some things that maybe some fun questions I usually like to ask Michael. Certainly. All right. The first person being uh, favorite memory in your professional tenure. I have a lot. I feel like I've kind of forced gumped my way through yeah. my career. I've been pretty lucky. Uh, when, I was a, but when I was at Florida State, uh, men's tennis made a Sweet 16 for the first time. It was kind of a ragtag bunch. And I got to be really close with our number one player and his girlfriend at the time. And they actually invited me to their wedding. I, I oh. felt honored that to be invited to their wedding. Um we won a track national championship when I was at Florida State. I got to work with Walter Dix. He won two bronze medals at the Beijing Olympics. So that was amazing. And just seeing kind of the circus involved going around him 
Uh, we made the first women's uh, Super Regional in softball. Uh, we beat Georgia in the or in the uh, if necessary game with a left-handed screwball pitcher who probably can't break a plant of glass with her fastball. <laughs> but we somehow beat them. Uh, then I've been I've been lucky here at, our, at Johnson and Wales as well too with. Um, my first year, we went to men's basketball Sweet 16. First time we ever had that. Because athletics here is less than 30 years old. So we're a young program. Women's volleyball made the Elite Eight last year, which was great. And then last year, we had our first national champion, uh, Jay Alvis, a uh, wrestling individual title. So that was amazing to be a part of. What about on the other side of the coin? What's your biggest horror story? I got a bunch of those, too, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, sadly, I've been at two institutions where student-athletes have died. My last day at Northern Illinois, we had a, we had a football player die. Um, he was at a, uh, in Chicago. He was on a balcony, and the balconies all collapsed on the back of this apartment building. I think they made an episode of ER out of it. Wow. Yeah, and then um, when I was at Florida State, women's basketball player died, so that was tough. On not as bad side, when I was at uh, Florida State, we were at the track championships, um, and again, Walter Dix was like, back then was the permanent sprinter in the country. He was the 100-200 meter champion. I remember him, yeah. And we're at the outdoor track championships, and uh, he'd done a bunch of interviews. He's kind of tired. He says, Michael, I don't want to do it anymore. So I'm, I said, okay, I'll, I'll tell everybody. And, and we worked with the NCAA, and I, so I thought I was telling the NCAA, um, or the CBS guy, that Walt wasn't doing any more interviews. Well, I was talking to the gentleman from Track Shark. And he thought I was saying Walter was out of the meat. And oh. Kristen, Kristen Jacobs from the NCAA comes up and goes, Michael, is Walter pulling out of the meat? I'm like, no, what are you talking about? She goes, the guy from Track Shark just came to tell me, you said he's pulling out of the meat. I'm like, no, he's not doing interviews anymore. Stop. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's, he's still competing. So that was kind of uh, a, yeah. I, I was concerned that Track Shark was going to start reporting that Walt's out of the meat. And then probably the worst one, I was with the softball team at Florida State, and we're up at North Carolina for the ACC championships. And we're in the championship game, and uh, they're doing some pre, uh, pre-game pre interviews that they're taping for the, the the broadcast. So they line up a couple of players. Girls have been playing well throughout the tournament. And afterwards, the assistant coach comes and says, Michael, what'd you do? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm confused. She says, well, uh, player, she uh, she's crying after the interview. And like, what do you mean? She says, well, today's Mother's Day, and they asked about her mother. Well, I didn't know her mother had passed away that year. So they're asking her about Mother's Day and what she's doing for Mother's Day. And this is her first Mother's Day without her mother. Well, I felt awful. I mean, I just felt yeah. just, oh, it was brutal. I, I mean, I apologized profusely to her. Fortunately, we became good friends since then, um, you know, keep in touch online and everything. But it was, I just, I'm not sure I felt worse in my career uh, by not knowing um, that, you know. And so I've definitely learned to ask more questions of interviewers you know, what kind of question, you know, and trying to avoid those topics. But, yeah, that was, that was a crushing one for me to, to have that happen. Yeah, yeah, it did. sounds like I don't know what I would do in that situation. Um, what's one thing you're interested in to learn more about in this profession? From the SID standpoint, I'm trying to learn more about After Effects. As I mentioned, we kind of started dabbling into the video. We're doing a lot more of that uh, at Johnson as much as we can. Uh, but, yeah, I like to really up our, our level with that. And then, uh, you know, I, I like to, I'm trying to learn more about leadership, being more involved, because um, now that I have oversight, people report to me, how can I serve them better? You know, how can I be a better leader to them? Right, right. And, you know, some good resources for that. And I, I told somebody else these. 
I'm a big reader of that sorts of thing. Um, the dichotomy of leadership and the uh, extreme ownership are two books that'll really help you out. Okay. Because, you know, the ownership part, and you can take this in life and in your health and everything too, kind of taught it all back, is you are the reason why everything's happening to you. You know, mm-hmm. and it takes all those concepts and helps facilitate leadership roles with that. Um, in your mind, what good uh, traits or characteristics make a good SID? It's one that has to care. You have to be you know, invested in your, your sports and the people you work with. I mean, it's not a nine-to-five job, and you spend more time with these people than you do your spouse or your kids sometimes, which is unfortunate, but that's how it works. You have to be someone that cares. Um, you have to be someone that is adaptable because not every thing happens as planned. I mean, you know, I'm just getting off the phone with another AD about, hey, we may have to move this game, or hey, we may have to make adjustments. Uh, there's always going to be adjustments on the fly, so you have to be kind of willing to go with the flow and, and be ready to change things on the spot. Uh, what's one piece of advice you give to a student going into this profession? Kind of along those same lines, you kind of have to learn to be a servant leader in your department. We're here because of the coaches and the student-athletes, not the other way around. You know, mm. We're here to help them and to serve them. So one of the things that I try to talk to my students is there's going to be changes to the schedule that you're just going to have to roll with. That You you know, you may have plans, but, but our lives change. We're here when student-athletes can perform, which is nights and weekends. And that's when, so that's when this job happens. So if this isn't something that works for you, this may not be the, the wrong for you. Maybe I think about something else because – you have to go with the flow. Yeah, I would love to have my Sunday off, but if we have to move our baseball doubleheader from Saturday to Sunday because that's what's best for the student-athletes, then that's what we do. And I think when people kind of get their mind around that they're here to serve the student-athletes and coaches, that you know they, they adapt a little bit more. Also, too, I mean, you also have to have honest conversations you know, with your friends and significant others about this, this is how your job works. I mean, I think it works well for my wife and I that we're both in athletics. I understand that there's going to be weekends when she's gone recruiting and we're barely going to talk. Because she's in the gym from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. And then she's going to have dinner and she's tired. She's going back to the hotel to sleep. We may not talk much that day. But I'm not But I'm not like racing through my mind like, what is she doing? Mm-hmm. And she gets it from my standpoint, too. She knows there's going to be sometimes where four or five days in a row, we're not going to have dinner together. But she also understands that there's going to be some times when we can get together where we may not have a chance otherwise. We may have a Friday noon where we can hang out and do something together. So... You know, learning that you got to serve others and that you've got to be flexible. We already talked about work-life balance a little bit, um, so I'm going to rephrase this next question here. Uh, what's your next race and what's your goal time? My next race, I think, is going to be in Vermont. Uh, my goal has been to uh, – I would love to do a half marathon in every state in the country, but that's that might take a while. So, yeah. I, so right now I'm just shooting for every um, state up in New England. I've got Vermont and Connecticut left. I would like to um, hopefully 145 is the uh, unicorn out there that I can't quite tame. I've come close a couple of times. Yeah. I ran New York City last year and I missed it by 46 seconds. New York City half marathon was amazing. You start in Brooklyn, run over the Manhattan Bridge through Times Square. It's, if you can run the race, I highly recommend doing it. And I just missed it there. So 145 is the goal time. So Vermont's a good spot. It's sillier that I think might might be up for, but uh, there's a lot of great craft breweries, which my wife and I like going to those as well. So kind of a, a double whammy. I, I know that uh, hopefully this is the same way for you. There are some barriers if you're a runner, like I was a track athlete, that once you break, 
you never go back. So hopefully for you, like the uh, five-minute mile, um, you never go back once you break that 145. So good luck to you, sir. Um, one last thing, next time somebody's in the Providence area, what's your restaurant and bar recommendation? Uh, it's kind of tough because I, I live up in Massachusetts, so I'm not in Providence a whole lot. I kind of come yeah. in for work. But one thing that is unique about Johnson & Wales is that we have, again, we have an amazing culinary program. So for lunch and dinner, there's a, free, there. there's a free um, meal that staff can sign up for to go to that the students can test out their kind of their cooking skills and their serving skills. So you have to sign up in advance because usually every day sells out, but it's um, sometimes three, four, five course meal. And the food is amazing. So I've, um, one of my things I do with my interns when they're done with the semester, I take them to that. And it's usually something they have never had before, duck or lamb or pork shanks, something like that. There are some good restaurants though. Uh, the Malta Barley, and downtown Providence has amazing pretzels and good beer selection. Um, my wife, she's up at Holy Cross. So we're in Worcester a lot. The Flying Rhino uh, has a great selection. And then uh, Armsby Abbey has a great beer selection as well. So we try, try to get those places. And we're not that far from Boston as well. So try to get into Boston as much as we possibly can. Uh, if anybody had any questions for you, maybe want to follow up with you, that would be the best way to do it. Certainly email is michael.smoose, S-M-O-O-S-E, at jwu.edu. And then I'm on Twitter at Michael Smoose. All right, perfect. Well, Michael, thank you very much for coming on. David, thanks for having me. Well, guys, there you have it. Next week, uh, kind of up in the air right now. We had a cancellation on us, so we kind of have to swirl around a little bit. Uh, just to find a replacement for that. But right now, it's looking like uh, you're one of your favorite NAI guys will be coming on from Kentucky. I'm uh, not going to say who just yet, but uh, he's a first-time guest, if, if that helps, since there's, what, a, a handful of NAI schools in Kentucky. Uh, but he will be coming on as soon as we get him scheduled. At this point in time, we do not have him scheduled, but uh, he'll be coming on. Super looking forward to that one. I know mo everybody loves him. I know all you guys are going to love them, and I can't wait for that episode to come out. Uh, especially try some new uh, recording software that we've got in the tube. We weren't able to do that for Michael or John Keen, who we just got done recording with. That episode won't be out until late March, mid to late March, um, just to align with basketball season. Uh, and then uh, let's see, what else is there in the newsletter? As I said, and be sure to check out our uh, articles and our huddlers as we introduce those. Uh, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. Follow us on social media at sportsofvocast.gmail.com. Uh, that's our email address. And uh, yeah, guys, uh, that'll do it for me today. And I want to thank you all for listening. Hope to catch you all in the next episode.